Welcome. You're listening to the McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. If you're looking for insights into the issues that matter most in healthcare right now, you're in the right place. Explore wide-ranging conversations with leaders, problem solvers, innovators, and professionals who are at the heart of healthcare today. I'm Dr. Pooja Kumar, a partner at McKinsey & Company. Let's get started. In today's episode of McKinsey on Healthcare, I speak with Dr. Anne Klebanski, President and Chief Executive Officer of Mass General Brigham, a Boston-based integrated healthcare system. Beyond her leadership of one of the nation's largest healthcare systems, Anne is also recognized internationally for her high-impact research in neuroendocrine disorders and pituitary tumors, and she's been described as a trailblazing woman leader in healthcare. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much for having me here today, Pooja. Looking forward to our discussion. And in 1997, you were the first woman from Mass General's Department of Medicine to earn the rank of full professor at Harvard. You had a respected career as a clinical researcher. Then in 2019, you became the first female chief executive of Partners Healthcare, the state's largest private employer. And you were named one of the top 25 women leaders in healthcare. You are a trailblazer indeed. In 2019, you were quoted as saying, it's important to create a future state where no one will say, here is the first woman in any role. How would you describe the progress we've made in this area over the past few years? What still needs to happen to make this a reality? So I think uh, part of what we're seeing is a definition of progress. What does it mean to be able to say we've made sufficient progress or we are where we want to be? The, the quote I think that you reference is what I would call an optimal end state. The optimal end state is when we no longer have to say, here is the first woman who's in this position. Here is the first woman who has done that. Here is a trailblazer. It is really thinking about where we need to get to as a final state. And that is looking at everyone, everyone for their talents, for their abilities, for what they have to bring to any position. And that is the ultimate metric. Basically, we need to get beyond the numbers. Numbers are not the final metric. Numbers are just the beginning. So when we say we have X number of women in this job, we have X number of minorities in this position, we're still counting numbers. But what we haven't done is fundamentally address the culture, the thinking, and the realization of what it really means to create the workforce of the future. So have we made progress by numbers? Absolutely. Have we really looked at what all of the things that we have realized represent, I'll call it the underbelly of all of this? Not really. So we've made progress. Have we made enough progress? Not at all. But we're talking about it. And that's always a first step. That's not an end state. That's very helpful. And I think well said about the particular issues that have been there for a long while in our society and in the way that we work. You said in an interview with Barnard College that the best legacy is to develop the next generation of leaders and help people find what it is they want to dedicate their life to. How do you practice this belief in your day-to-day work? What advice do you have for physicians seeking leadership positions? So one of the things that has been, uh, I think, a very important element for me is impact. 
How much impact do you have in the one person you're seeing, the one patient you're taking care of? How much impact do you have on someone you've mentored? How much impact do you have in a broader concept, whether it's in research, whether it's in clinical, whether it's administration, whether it's in anything that you do? How do you evaluate that? I think, I think many people are very much focused on their legacy in terms of how it is they will be remembered. And I've seen this many times when people are very much focused on how will they be remembered, uh, that becomes all about them. And that is not really a legacy. That's a, that's a statue. That's a portrait. Uh, that's a plaque. That's a naming opportunity. That's a lot of things. But what I meant in that quote is fundamentally the most impact you can have is, is how you have actually dealt, talked, worked with, mentored people around you so that they can actually find what they're most passionate about. They can actually find what's most meaningful for them. And looking beyond, and this I think is an important thing for me, looking beyond what they may be doing, looking beyond what they may think they need to be doing, and actually helping them move into that role. Those are the kinds of things that I look for. And, you know, I think for so many people, you have to decide for yourself, what are the kind of attributes that you look for? And is that really what you want to be seeing in others? Fundamentally, it's really understanding what it is that you see in people and how you can think about what it is that you see in them that can drive them, that can bring passion to them, joy to them, fulfillment, that can actually move things forward. How do you draw that out, give them the confidence, the training, maybe a little bit of wisdom, but a little bit of vision to help them realize where it is they need to go? And how do you fit that into thinking about it from an organizational perspective? Yeah, it's a real provocation, I think, to many leaders today where we have been bound to more traditional metrics and or asks that we're making in looking for leaders. And often, I think that reflects, unfortunately, the um, makeup of the leadership teams that you see around um, boardrooms and management rooms today. I, I'm sure you, like I, have been in a number of boardrooms and management team meetings when you look around and you see a lot of homogeneity that doesn't actually reflect the patient population that these institutions serve. How would you ask other leaders in your position to think about that? And what advice would you have for them? That homogeneity is uh, fundamental to uh, a lot of behaviors that I see, you see, we see every day. People have a measure of comfort in the known. And that includes concepts, that includes philosophies, that includes work, that includes a lot of things. The known is familiar. The known is less threatening than the unknown. No matter how future thinking people are, I think there is a tendency to look for the familiar. And there's, there's a lot of good in that. But there's also a lot of bad in that. It's a broad generalization, but sometimes you see things again and again, and you've already, you've already mentioned what it's like to walk into a room where everyone else looks different than you. And what's the message that that sends? And the answer is, they're inside, you're outside. The level of expectation is going to be different. You're going to be judged differently. You're going to be viewed differently. So, so I think that you have to look at the broader question of what does it mean for an individual person? 
So the homogeneity that you refer to, and now you're getting very specifically into healthcare, is the realization that, first of all, nothing that really works particularly well is homogeneous. And what I mean by that is you mentioned clinical work. There is no clinical work that only involves or typically only involves one person. Some of the best things that happen in clinical work, and I say this as someone who spent many years being a neuroendocrinologist, being part of a very broad multi-specialty team, you want to have different perspectives. You want to bring the talent, the knowledge, the creativity of putting together many disciplines to really look at things from different angles. Whenever you're talking about anything that's complex and sometimes something that's simple as well, you want the vision and the view of someone who's looking at it differently. So when we think about homogeneity, diversity, I've just split it up into a couple of things. Those numbers, and I referenced this earlier, those numbers are changing, and that's a, that's a good thing. But fundamentally, what's missing, and this is, this is the point I make all the time to those people who are looking at the numbers, is it's not the numbers. It's what are you missing? Now, one thing could be patients who are being taken care of want to see people who look like them. They want to know that the perspectives that they bring are the perspectives that are known and shared and are visible and have a voice. And those are all important. Those are incredibly important goals within healthcare and incredibly important goals in many organizations. But that diversity of thought, background, experience, values, culture, no matter what that is, how fundamentally important is that for making progress in any organization? And again, I would say it is extremely important. And at the heart of so many uh, calcified, ossified, non-diversified groups, companies, whatever, is just that. There is no one there to challenge and question in ways that might not have been thought of otherwise. I can't imagine a world of research and innovation where you have a single group with a single discipline, with a single mindset looking at one problem. We wouldn't get anywhere. That is actually the opposite of what it takes to make progress. And I think people understand that. And yet, when we look at people within a room or within groups, we often revert to what's familiar. Yeah, I think engaging people, calling people out, frankly, in the way that you've talked about, right, about their own biases or assumptions and bringing to bear diverse viewpoints explicitly into the room, to your point, can make innovation better. It can also make standard processes better. There's a whole host of things that can come out of these types of moves. I'd love for you to reflect about your personal transition from practicing physician to a leader influencing health for a population. And in particular, what were the main challenges or opportunities you faced when you began moving from clinical roles to leadership roles? I'd say that uh, one of the things that uh, has most governed a lot of my career has been, how do I have more impact? I guess one way to approach it is when I'm thinking back uh, and I started my training, I was very, very passionate about clinical care. And I love taking care of patients. I love the impact you could have on a patient, on their families, on their lives. And that kind of very one-to-one -one immediate impact was just extremely gratifying. It was extremely wonderful. 
It was invigorating. And I think it represented to me all that one could do in medicine. Then I learned something interesting. I started doing uh, research. Research is a lot of different things. And it's governed by a lot of different things. And the first research project that I did, uh, I can't attribute what came to what, but uh, definitely it was a very positive study and it had a good outcome. So this was an interesting moment for me because for the first time I looked at this piece of work, I suddenly realized that in a publication like this, you actually had more impact. There was the one patient you were taking care of but also the impact on so many other people who would be affected by that research outcome. Fundamentally, it could change the care of patients, not only in the hospital, in the clinic, in the hospital, in the city, in the region, in the country, and well beyond. So the concept that research can have such a profound effect was a a very different concept than the one I had traditionally thought about. So that really got me incredibly engaged in thinking about research in the context of patients and thinking about the impact that one could have. If I look through the various things that I've done in my career, it was getting beyond what I could do as an individual researcher or as leading a group of researchers and thinking, how do you structure things at scale so that you can actually change the way research is done? How do you put together the right infrastructures? How do you put the right facilities together? How do you bring together talented researchers so that you could actually create something bigger and future thinking? What are the resources at the system level that investigators need today? What are the resources that may be needed for tomorrow? Whether it was looking at some of the fundamental things that had to be put together in data analytics to prepare for artificial intelligence and their impact whether it was looking at how we structured data with clinical samples um, to look at the future of genetics. It was a lot of different things. And at the end of it, it all came to scale. So leveraging and looking at that and thinking about how does clinical medicine, how does research, how do all these things fit together, um, I think was an incredibly, I'll use the word again, exhilarating and important moment for me. The other thing that I found um, extremely important to integrate into all of this was the area of innovation, commercialization, and thinking about how that fit into the overall spectrum. In terms of Mass General Brigham specifically, I look at the research that's done across the entire enterprise. And to me, that was really fundamentally important in how do we make sure that that can be aggressive? How do we aggressively look at pushing that research out there and actually having more impact throughout the country in a way that really leverages what we have. How do we take all of these phenomenal people that we train and make sure we can continue to train? And that's a challenge. So so in terms of the opportunities, it's all about the opportunities in terms of putting that together in a way that, again, can make the most look at what differentiates us. We're not the only academic healthcare system in the country at all. But how do we think about academic medical centers and systems in the future? What do we need to do, particularly in this environment, to keep that innovation, to keep that research increasing and progressing so we can actually make that whole circle of making care better? How do we look at that? How do we innovate in clinical care delivery? The challenges, I'll say they're challenges to all of academic medical centers and um, 
systems, which is how do we take the care delivery part of what we're doing as a healthcare system, make that streamlined, make that patient focused, make sure that everything we're doing has to be around patients. How do we lower the total cost of care, which is something everyone is thinking about? How do we get care out into the right places? But at the same time, we have to support those things that are really fundamental to all of our missions and be able to support them in terms of structures, in terms of all of the resources needed to keep them going. I think the final set of challenges is the challenges of change. And the rationale for change is very clear. I, I meet very few people who don't sit back and say, the rationale for change is clear. And it couldn't be clearer now, given where we are as a country, in terms of where we are in terms of healthcare in terms of what lessons we've learned during COVID. All of these things are true. But fundamentally, when it comes to changing the way people work, that's a challenge. So getting people to embrace a bigger vision, not all that hard, although has challenges of its own. But when it comes to actually change the way things are organized, how they're run, and fundamentally how it affects each person, their group, their department, that's the challenge. I hear you. Yes, human beings are creatures of habit and, and creatures who prefer to not have any change. It's, it's interesting because I think COVID made many people question whether we would actually be able to handle change better. But I'm also hearing from you and from peers across the country that it's very easy to slip back into old habits also. Um, and we see timelines lengthening. You know, we see people going back to kind of the traditional ways of working. Um, almost shockingly quickly. You have in your last role, as well as your current role, as being taken on different types of change, large change. Um, in your chief academic officer role, it felt like that change, though, was much more tied to the heart of what an AMC is all about. And now in your CEO role, you're moving much more towards perhaps an uncomfortable but more audacious type of change. You've spoken about your vision to build the integrated academic health system of the future at Mass General Brigham. Can you talk us through what this means and whether or how this vision could translate to the wider healthcare sector? So I think one of the challenges there was what I'll call the dilutional theme. The dilutional theme is something I've encountered in many organizations. And that is whatever it is this part of the organization is doing is the best and anything that is combined with something else will be dilutional. So that is, uh, that's in some ways a humorous phrase, uh, but it is a very complex one and is quite deep rooted depending on where you are and what you're doing and who you sit with. The intersection between research and clinical care was part of that transition. So I think there was often this siloed approach of this is research and this is clinical care. Here is innovation in research. Here is clinical care. Fundamental to the transition and fundamental to the healthcare system, among many things, is putting research and the drive to innovation, the drive to change into healthcare delivery. So I think the first thing is putting everything together and saying, that kind of innovation, that kind of necessary clinical integration, all of these things that we're doing to make us bigger, to have better impact, all of these things mean, how do we take better care of patients? Bigger is not expansion. Bigger 
is how do we have bigger impact? And that can be in our hospitals, that can be in the region, that can be nationally and can be internationally. Some of the depth of the specialty, the specialists that we have across our AMCs, our academic medical centers, is one of our greatest talents. It's the, it's the ability of people. It's the knowledge of people. So how do we take that knowledge and take that and bring that out into the world? How do we look at a digital future that will help us do that? And that also will change healthcare delivery. The second thing I would say that is incredibly important is looking at uh, how we deliver care. How fundamentally do we change healthcare delivery? We are, as are other healthcare systems, very AMC focused. We are very hospital-ocentric. Are hospitals important? Absolutely, without question. But what does a hospital of the future look like? What is the role of an academic medical center? What is the role of a community hospital? The second major focus is how do we really reconfigure care? And everybody everywhere is struggling with this. And there's so many new innovative companies that have come up to address this. Some of it is in pieces. We'll take this piece of it. We'll take that piece of it. The survival of all of our systems will be to adjudicate that and look at that very carefully and hopefully get state endorsement of it so that we actually can provide the right care in the right place. And fundamental to all of this is the tech enablement. And I can't emphasize that enough. The tech enablement is really critical. And how do we get beyond the inequities in access to tech enabled care? That is going to be another issue. So let me move to equity and community. I would say the first thing is all of us, and this was before the pandemic, during the pandemic, the inequities in healthcare, these are profound inequities. None of this is new. So when people say to me, you know, I never realized X, Y, and Z occurred, I, I will always look at them and say, no, that's, that's always been there. And I think that's true of many of the things that were highlighted during the pandemic. So the profound inequities of care, we, we just have to keep looking at and understanding what that means. We have to think about what is the care being delivered in the communities? How do we define underserved communities? How do we fundamentally work with communities of color to have better health care outcomes? Some of these issues are broadband access. Some of these issues are equipment access. Some of it is training access. So again, we have a very, uh, as, as do other healthcare systems, a very broad-based way of thinking about this which again needs to involve multiple partners. It's our system, partnering with other systems, partnering with companies, partnering with the city and state. This is not something that anyone can do alone. And that's fundamental to the kinds of things we need to do. The next thing we're very much focused on is clinical integration. What are those things that exist at multiple places in what's basically a previous holding company, and how do we put that into a clinical integration model? And this involves taking the emergency department, the radiology department, pathology, anesthesia, and thinking through what does that look like from a system-wide perspective. So no matter where you go in the system, the kind of care that you get, the imaging that you get, imaging in particular will be done at the right place. It will be done in the least expensive manner, Whatever those, wherever those images go, they will be read by the best person there is. This, this shifting around of care is an incredibly important uh, element 
And some of it is direct care, but some of it is, again, we're talking about radiology, pathology. So we are really looking at how we best integrate services. What does it mean to have a service line? How do we really get the, the best care and use subspecialists in the best possible way around the entire healthcare system? And I would just, again, tie it back to all of these things have to look at the totality of healthcare delivery. How do we deliver as a system the best integrated care and keeping those missions, again, the academic mission, the training mission, all of those things, taking care of community. How do we look at all of the parts of the mission in very challenging times for healthcare? How do we keep all those things going? And what are the big bets? What are the big investments that we need to be making in the future? What are the big scientific bets? What are the large platform technologies we need to be investing in? So many, many uh, topics related to major investments that we can be making, um, but those are going to be critical for what we do in the future. And what are the key partnerships we need to be doing for that? Partnerships with other healthcare systems, partnerships with the state and the city, partnerships with industry, partnerships with venture. Partnerships are the only way we can move forward to have the best collective impact. No one is going to solve any of these problems in isolation. Thanks, Anne. What a provocation to the entire industry and academic health system leaders in particular. If there is one thing that you want to look back on and say that you did in your role as CEO, what would that be? I think in looking back, the one thing is to take what was essentially a holding company with fantastic academic medical centers, fantastic clinical work, fantastic research, fantastic community hospitals, but it was, a, it was a holding company. And really take the very best elements of that and put that into an integrated care delivery system, which fundamentally has patients at the end of everything it does, whether it's clinical work, whether it's research, whether it's training, whether it's community, and really move this system into the future because it is really the future of healthcare that we're talking about and how to position this particular system to really look in a future way to get beyond complacency of the past and set ourselves up for the future because that's what our patients deserve. That's what the phenomenal people that I work with every day want for the system and getting them there, that's the most important thing. And thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate your insights for our audience. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciated the conversation. There's so much wonderful things to talk about. And thank you for your time today as well. Thank you for joining us for today's McKinsey on Healthcare podcast with Dr. Ann Klebanski, President and Chief Executive Officer of Mass General Brigham. Anne has given us some excellent insights into her leadership journey, as well as her vision for a future of an integrated healthcare system. Personally, I loved her reflections on creating more diverse teams that can together tackle the big problems ahead for healthcare. I'm Dr. Pooja Kumar, and this has been a McKinsey on Healthcare podcast. Thank you for listening.